I brought you around here is treated like a god. I mean, I'll never find out what he could really do. I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. You're listening to this on Keeping the Nostalgia Alive. That's all one word, keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com. Uh, when you get done with this interview, go back into our library and check out all of our over 150 interviews of the greats that played the game, officiated the game, were a part of the game of this great game of basketball from the state of Indiana. And, you know, with that being said, today's guest, uh, he played on the first team at North Davies after the consolidation of Odin, Plainville, and Elnora. Uh, he was on the coaching staff of Lagodi when they went to the 1975 state finals. Uh, he was also a recipient of the um, uh, Roy Gardner um, Award in 1999, and just recently, uh, the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, he won the Circle, the Center Circle Officials Award uh, and has been a, was an official for years in Indiana high school basketball. So it's a, a pleasure of mine to introduce Steve Fisher. And Mr. Fisher, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your schedule to, to help keep the nostalgia alive and, uh, and talk about your career in this great game of basketball from Indiana. Well, thank you. It's an honor for, for me to be here today. And uh, it's been, been a long 30 years, but it was time to hang it up and go on to more important things in my life. When were you first um, introduced to the game of basketball, and did it immediately become your favorite, or did you have other favorite sports growing up? No, when I was about three or four years old, my dad, as everybody else's dad did, nailed a basketball hoop to the end of the garage in my little town of Plainville, Indiana. And by the way, we were the Plainville Midgets. Um <laughs> I'm not sure what we would be called today, but we were the Plainville Midgets. Grew up in just 10 miles north of Washington, Indiana. And basketball instantly became my passion. I remember playing outside. I never lost a game outside. And Plainville always won the state championship when I was playing in the backyard. But um, I just I played baseball in high school. But basketball was really my passion. I lived a block from the school, and on Friday afternoons I would sneak down to the gymnasium and in Plainville and put a rock in the back door so I could sneak in on the weekends and play. And and what was going on in Indiana high school basketball before you got to high school, and what you know, uh, you know what what was happening in that in that age of basketball? Well, we had, Plainville had. The great Lloyd Weasel Bateman in 1956 when they won the sectional, and they were kind of my idols. And then the 1961 team was pretty good. They upset Lagodi in the sectional after getting beat by Lagodi and Junior G. And by about 40, about three weeks before the sectional, my cousin Gordon Fisher tipped one in at the buzzer and beat uh, Lagodi. And th- those guys that played on those teams were my idols. You know, they coached me in bitty basketball. And, and But we all hated Washington, of course, like they were the they were the king of the hill, and everybody hated Washington. And we had 
we got out of school on Thursday and Friday afternoons to go to the sectional because we played Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, Thursday night, Friday afternoon, Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and you couldn't get a seat in the old hatchet house. And it was just, um, I can remember my dad and I standing outside in line and going to the games, and it was just a, a, a I wouldn't want to have grown up any other time, period. It was just really, really neat basketball. You know, it's interesting that you said that, you know, everybody hated Washington. You know, in, in every in every interview I do, there was always some kind of rivalry where uh, a team was despised. But it's interesting how we, when we grow older, we kind of take in and respect and, and love the uh, the history of some of those schools that we disliked. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We did a um, – the Davis County Historical Museum, a gentleman by the name of Doug Darty, who's kind of runs that, Last year did a an afternoon session radio show on the 1950s in Davis County basketball. This year we did one in the 1960s, and they had Sam Offord from Washington and Gary Grider, who played with Big E at University of Houston. Uh, he was there, myself. Uh, Larry Graham had played in Odin in 1960. was on that great 59 team that Odin had. And it was really neat to to talk about one of the questions that they asked at the end was who do I think was one of the greatest players in the 1960s in the Washington sectional and I thought of two guys that nobody else thought of I thought of Scott Offord Sam's brother who I thought he went on to play at Oklahoma State I believe and a guy that played at Ligoti that I thought was as good as Junior if not well I shouldn't say better because Junior was the best but a guy by the name of Bill Drake who graduated in 64 that played with Junior. And we all we all talked about how we hated each other, but we all talked about how much we respect we had for each other. And there was a story going around that uh, Gary Grider and Junior G did not get along. And when all the dust settled, Gary sent Junior a letter just saying, what a great career you had. I'm glad I got to play against you. And Junior never opened it until about eight or ten years ago. And he read it, and, he, and the story is that he just cried and cried, and he went to Gary and apologized, and they became, and they're really good friends now. So I think basketball has a way of bringing people together. Even though we compete against one another and we couldn't stand one another, um, I remember my dad thinking my dad was killed in 1983 and I often wonder what my dad would think there I am refereeing a game in the hatchet house I wonder what my dad would have, was thinking in heaven whenever he he uh, looked down and saw me work refereeing a basketball game for the Washington Hatchets you know that's the great thing about this game of basketball from Indiana you know I, I had both Gary Greider on the program and Junior G and and of course you just said the story also and how you know uh, the letter and uh, them getting back together and what a fabulous story for Hoosier Hysteria lore yeah we had a great time at that 1960s radio show and um, it was just a wonderful day and we had a gentleman from Bar Reeve Galen Graber was there Steve Brothers from Washington Catholic um, and we just had a really nice day of reminiscing and talking about competing against one another and I represented both Plainville and North Davis since I as you mentioned earlier I was on the first team at North Davis in 1968-69 
And I will say this about the Washington section on 68-69, and I'm a little prejudiced, but there may have never been a sectional that has much talent and as many good teams as the 69 section in Washington did. Uh, and that included both Jim and Jack Trout, right? Right. They were undefeated at St. John's of Ligoti. Junior was coaching there, and North Davis beat them in the afternoon game on Saturday afternoon. We were seventeen at that time. We were eighteen and three or four. They were undefeated. Uh, Lagodi was good. Uh, Bar Reeve was decent. I think Toad Rank was coaching then. Um, not sure. Um, but Otwell beat us in the final game that night. They played the first game on Saturday afternoon. I always tell Steve Barrett and Rick Wiseman, we've been played like it is now. We'd have beat them by twenty, but. <laughs> we'll never know that to be a fact. We had some injuries that night, and uh, we had an eight-point lead with about three to go, and we just couldn't hold it, and we got beat. And uh, I remember my dad setting up. I don't think he went to bed for two days. He was in such. He was just so down and in the dumps over that. And, um, but it was a great time to grow up. Great basketball during that time period. You know, what was it like? Like, you know, when I was in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, I knew where I was going to high school, and my high school was still there. So what was it kind of like before you went to North Davies, you know, with consolidation? Were you sad about that? Was that a big was that a big whoop-de-doo about what was going on in the state at that time with the consolidation of schools before you went to North Davies? Well, I can remember my father telling me when I was about, when the schools actually consolidated in 65, and became one school system, but we didn't become North Davis until 68, 69. I can remember my dad telling me one night as he was walking home from a meeting about the consolidation, he said, Steve, this will never work. He said, uh, it just won't work. Of course, that was my dad, diehard Plainville midget. He was a pretty good player in 1936. Uh, I could never beat him in horse, so I, I, I quit trying. But he, uh, he said it wouldn't work. Well, I'm glad that Dad wasn't right on that because I think the thing that really made North Davis work was the fact that we were pretty good our first year and it brought the three communities, four, the four or five communities together. Um, it, I really can't. I, I wasn't sad about leaving Plainville. I was excited because I knew we were going to be pretty good. We had a great coach in Bill Slatton, and Art Ellis was the assistant coach. And I knew we were going to be pretty good because Eleanor had four kids coming back. And Mike Birch played with us from Odin. And we were a little thin after that. But the guys, um, we had a good, we just, it just, everything went really well. Everything chimed really just clicked together for us. You know, it's you know, I thought the Jeeps, the spark plugs, uh, were unique names, and I've been in this a while. I the, the midgets, I, that 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 is hilarious. Well, how about the Epsom salts? <laughs> I forgot about that. The Epsom Epsom closed in '67, and uh, I told Slatton he was coaching at Illinois, and Bill became my dad after my father was killed. Uh, Bill became I didn't I didn't buy a house switch jobs, buy a car, do anything without talking to Bill. I and mean, he passed away a few years ago, and, and uh, but he was like my father. And uh, I always accused Bill. I said, you recruited all the athletes from Epson, 
and we got all the smart kids. I never did figure they had a choice to either go to Plainville or go to Illinois, and they could either be an Illinois Owl or a Plainville Midget. Uh, we didn't get any athletes. They all went to Illinois, and, and Bill had a pretty good run there with the Illinois Owls. But, yeah, we had the Epsom Salts. Uh, in the end of North Davis Gym right now, Brent Dalrymple, the coach and athletic director, they have a plaque up across the end of the gym for the for all the schools that consolidated into North Davis. Even 50 years later, they still recognize all of us, and I think that means a lot to those communities. You know, I kind of – I really didn't know how you guys felt about consolidation until – you know, just recently, my high school actually closed, and you know it had right. been it had been around 110, 115 years. So I kind of uh, get a little bit of an idea of uh, how you guys felt. But at least they have that kind of stuff hang, uh, uh, out there for you guys still to be able to see. I, I don't know what they'll do with the Broderville High School stuff. Well, I don't. That's sad. Very, very sad. And being a just retiring from the superintendency at Newcastle, I I know quite a bit about what's going on and in public education and it's just been a disaster for public education and for teachers and the way they've been treated and the closure of so many schools and um, I'm not a charter school fan because it's I see that you know it's not always the best I don't know what the correct answer is but um, I'm a very big advocate for public education I think we've done a good job um, all of us went through public ed, and I think all of us turned out pretty good. So, so baseball. Let's chat about baseball a little bit. What what team did you follow when you were a kid in baseball, and who were some of your favorite baseball players? Oh, I was a big Yankee fan. Um, there was an old guy in Plainville named Benny Bennington that ran a little two-pump gas station. Had a little uh, wood stove in it. The station was about as big as my desk. And he was a big Yankee fan, and my dad would take me down there in diapers. And Benny would keep me for three or four hours while Dad ran errands. And there was a couple of guys in town that that were big White Sox fans, and they would tease Benny about the Yankees. And of course, back then, and the Yankees were the best team in baseball all the time. And, and Benny talked me into becoming a Yankee fan, and, and he was one of the first people that uh, I knew that was a Yankee fan. And I've always been a Yankee fan ever since that that when I was that's been 64 years ago and and what position did you play in baseball I caught I was a catcher and played Plainville and and North Davies and uh, baseball I liked it you know with little league baseball when you were nothing like it is now but you know that's all you did in the summer is play baseball home run derby and wiffle ball and, and watch home run derby on TV and um, but basketball was my real true passion. I just, I, uh, it just, it was always a big part of my life. What was the atmosphere like at your guys' home games in high school basketball? Oh, it was the only show in town. It's like it is a bar eve now. It's the only show in town on Friday night or whatever night we played. And you had all the old timers from Plainville that came back to the games and, so back then, people stayed and basically stayed where they grew up, and, and they had a lot of pride. And and after the game, the cafeteria was open at the high school, and you went over to eat and and reminisce about the game and complain about the officials and and you know be happy when you won and sad when you lost. And um, 
I can, it was just a, it was just the only event, you know, I took, I um, was with someone one time at um, a ball game, at the Ligoti Bar Reed game, and they asked me what was going to happen, and I said, well, they're going to open the back doors here in a little bit, and everybody in Bar Reed is going to come in, and it's going to be a flood of people, and it was, and the game went to overtime, and they said, well, what's going to happen? I said, well, Jack's got a 6'7 kid. He's going to get to tip. Ligoti's going to play it down to three seconds. They're going to shoot, and they did, and the ball went in, and they won the game. And things haven't changed that much. The crowds are still, I think, still pretty good locally. The tournament games here in Indiana, they're okay. But there's nothing like it was with one class, and I know we probably don't want to talk too much about that, but I'm not a class basketball fan. I, I liked it. I'm glad I refereed the finals whenever it was one class. But it was just the only thing to do in town, whether it was Plainville, Eleanor, Odin, or Epson, or Washington, or Washington Catholic had big crowds at their games. It was just really a neat atmosphere. Where were some of your favorite places to play away from your home gym? Oh, I... I only got to play uh, one game in the old Hatchet House my freshman year because it closed going into my sophomore year and the new Hatchet House was open. I love to play at L&M um, because my mom was from Lions and they had a lot of my, my uncles and aunts and everything came. I, I had good games there. I, I, in our North Davis gym, um, we, had, we scored 117 points one night against Spencer. This was a defensive struggle that night. We scored 117, and Spencer scored 97. <laughs> um, I don't think Coach Slatton was happy with our defensive effort, but I know he was happy with the W at the end of the game. North Davis gym was really a good, a good. I think it's a great gym for basketball because the lighting is so well in there. I like playing there. Uh, had hated Odin and Eleanor. I just never could play well in those gyms. I think it was just pressure. You know, they were big rivals. Never really, till the very last game against Elnor, and they beat us. And Coach Slatton called me in the dressing room after the game, and he said, Now you're going to be playing for me next year. And he gave me a new basketball, and he gave me three new pair of socks. I never, I never will forget that. And we had a long talk. And he was from Plainville, too. So even though he was coaching at Elnor, I had known Bill for many, many, many years. But uh, those places, uh, Ligoti Gym, I'll tell you a quick story about that. My senior year, we go to Ligoti, and they're playing in their new gym. We snapped their home home winning streak. They had a, counting the old Ligoti Gym, which is on the highway there in Ligoti, they had won, I don't know, like 50-some games at home, and we beat them. But, and Jack knew we were going to beat them because we were much bigger than they were that year. So Jack put about 400 pounds of air in the basketball. <laughs> and that, that puppy would hit the rim and it would bounce out. I never will forget sliding taking that basketball at halftime and marching it into the referee's dressing room and getting it adjusted. And we uh, we did beat Lagodi that evening. And it was a good gym to play in too. Um, St. John's gym, the the, uh, the St. John's Lagodi gym, is where I played my first varsity game, and it was a good gym to play in. Steve, did you in high school? Did you sit in history class or math class and and fantasize what you wanted to do with your life and and uh, what was it at that point before uh, 
before getting out of high school and going to Franklin College? Well, you know, I never fantasized too much. I I wanted to play college basketball, and I went to Franklin and played a little bit, and I found out I wasn't near as good as I thought I was. And um, at Plainville, you know, I was a big fish in a little sea, and you get to Franklin, and Coach Thompson had recruited really good players. We were really pretty good. We had a guy by the name of Evan Big Cat Williams, who was the best athlete I've ever seen at college that size. I uh, just wasn't as good as I thought I was. And number two, I didn't work as hard as I should have. And every time I see Coach Thompson, I just saw him at the Hall of Fame induction. I apologized to him because I did not work as hard for him as I should have worked. And I regret that. And um, he, he had more patience with me than I would have had with me. Um, no, I, I knew I was going to go to college. My mom and dad, my dad had set me down when I was about seven or eight years old and gave me a real firm talking to that I was going to go to college. I was the first person in the family to go to college and and he was he was adamant that that was going to happen and you know most people back then if you were going to teach you went to Oakland City College University now and and I was probably going to go there and then all of a sudden there was a man in Lagoda by the name of Bill Bollinger whose sons had played for Jack, his older son Bill and his younger son Mike. And Mike went to Franklin College, and Bill came in one day, and he worked in Plainville as an accountant. And he came in one day to the restaurant, and he said, Steve, you're going to Franklin College. I said, Bill, we can't afford that. My dad, we're not very wealthy. He said, you're going to Franklin College. And he, every day. So he come in one day, and he said, Steve, I got an appointment for you with Coach Thompson on Easter Sunday of all Sundays. And he said, he'll be there. And we went. There was a lady there in the business department who came in on her Easter Sunday. And next thing you know, I'm going to Franklin College. And it's the best thing ever happened to me. And what was it like getting to Franklin College? Did you feel a little homesick? Did you kind of have an Uh, idea what you wanted to do while you were at Franklin College? Yeah, I was homesick. You know, I'd never been too far away from home. And it was two hours away, but after the first week or two, I was okay. And um, I wanted to teach business is really what I wanted to teach. I wanted to be like Coach Slatton. He was a business teacher. They did not have a business major in education at that time, so I went into social studies, as a lot of guys did, and, and uh, had a good four years at Franklin College, met a lot of people. I now teach there two days a week in the education department. I just finished my first year there after retiring from Newcastle. And uh, it was just a great experience for me, lifelong friends. Um, just really, I couldn't ask for a better situation. It was small. Uh, class sizes were small. Being from Plainville, you know, when you only had 16 kids in your junior class, and you had 12 girls and four guys, and I still couldn't get a date. So odds were in my favor, but I still couldn't get a date. So. Um, it was just a really good experience for me at Franklin College. You, you know, one of the uh, – I got a history degree from Indiana State University, and one of the most scariest things was, you know, once I graduated, what was I going to do with my life? Yeah. Was, were those the thought process through yours and, and, and take us through those first couple of years out of Franklin College? Well, it was scary because everybody else was getting a job but me. And I went to a basketball clinic with Stan Neal who was the, at that time, the assistant coach at Washington under Don Rogers. And 
I had helped with Washington a little bit. I actually graduated in 73 Christmas, so I had a semester off, and I actually got a job teaching at Washington and just filling in for someone and helping Don. And and Don had sent me to Bedford to scout the sectional. And and when I came back, um, I was taking the material. Jack had beaten, Lagodi had beaten Washington. So I called Jack and said, Jack, I've got the Bedford scouting report. Would you like to see it? So I, I sent it over there. And Stan had introduced me to a guy that you probably know, I've heard of. His name was Jack Kiefer. And uh, Jack was coaching at Oak Hill at the time. And Jack called me and Jack Kiefer called me and said, wanted me to come up for an interview. Stan told him I'd be a good assistant coach. And that's what I wanted to do. So I was on my getting ready to leave Plainville to go to Converse, Indiana. And the phone rang and it was Coach Butcher. And Coach, I went in and Mom said, you better take this call before you leave. And I went in and Coach Butcher said, I've got an opening and I know you've interviewed with the superintendent. He's given me permission to hire you. And it was like, you know, you grow up idolizing Junior G and Bill Drake, all the great players that Lagoda had. You know, everybody kind of despised Jack at the time. It was almost like you despised Washington. And I just, it was the greatest thing. And so I became Jack's freshman coach for five years. Uh, things just fell in place. And uh, at the end of five years, I decided that maybe this coaching is not really what's cut out to be. And I decided to just get out of it and just teach. And, um, and one thing led to another, and I got involved in officiating. But I was privileged. I was 23 years old on the coaching staff at Lagodi. We were 27-0 and 0 going into the final game of the state. And I can't tell you how my my ego was probably a hard time fitting in Market Square Arena at that time. <laughs> I uh, it was an experience I'll never forget. I, I, one thing that Jack did for me that I'll never ever ever forget. We played at North Davis back then. It was North Knox, South Knox, North Davis, and Lagodi had a holiday tournament. And this year, in the year that my first year at Lagodi, it was held at North Davis, and of course we won it. And Jack let me cut the net down first. He said, "This is your turf." This is where you played. These are your people. You go up the ladder first, and I will never ever forget that. Wow! And, and so, when does that light bulb come over your head on officiating? What what kind of uh, uh, you know? Uh, uh, I mean, when does it come on? What and and when? How do you get into something like that? Well, there was a guy teaching at Lagodi with me named David Cavanaugh. He lived in Montgomery, one of the Kavanaugh boys from Montgomery. And he came to me and he said, Steve, I started refereeing basketball last year. You know that. And I, he said, picked up some good money. And uh, he said, why don't you get your license? And you and I will do junior high games, freshman games, and just we won't get involved in varsity basketball or anything. So I did. And the first year, my old high school coach at Plainville, Norm Beasley, was the athletic director at Shoals. And Norm needed, he needed a lot of games filled. My first year, I worked 40-some games at shows between 5th and 6th grade boys all the way up. I worked every one of his junior varsity boys basketball games at home except one. And uh, they had a guy, his Norm's assistant was a guy named Stan Mosier who had got thrown out of the first um, JV game. 
and Stan didn't like the referee, so Norm told him he was going to get me for the rest of them and to treat me nice. Stan and I became really good friends through the years. I worked 143 games my first year, and I got bit by the bug, and I wanted to get better. And I worked a game at shows one night, and there was a gentleman who refereed from Washington who was there watching his son by the name of Jim Steimel. And Jim came down the dressing room after the game. He said, Steve, you, you work a pretty good game. He said, but you don't know what mechanics are. He said, you never stopped the clock one time. And I said, well, the scorekeeper stops the clock. He said, yes, but you've got to signal that. He said, you don't have any mechanics. And I said, well, mechanics is what, I guess that's the guy fixes my car. He said, come to an association meeting. And we did, and I did, and one thing led to another. And the following year, I became involved in the association. My second year of officiating, I worked six varsity basketball games I had contracted. Two at New Harmony, two at Madison Shaw, and I don't know where the other two were. And in 1980-81, Indiana went through a very severe flu epidemic and games were being canceled all over the place rescheduled I worked ended up working 19 boys varsity basketball games and I got my first sectional in my second year of officiating and I really really became obsessed with the sport and with the, the officiating and that just took off and I partnered up with a gentleman from Dubois named Gary Leisner and Toad Rank told us we'd never make it. <laughs> I remind Toad Rank about that every year. He goes, Yeah, I know. You fooled me. He said, You two will never make it because some guys will like you, Steve, and some guys will like Gary better than you. And I, and I said, Well, we're going to do this. And Gary and I worked uh, 20, I don't know how many years together. Gary could tell you the exact number of games probably we worked. Um, my biggest thrill in officiating was working in the 89 championship state final game with Gary. Um, I still to this day think Ray Kraft set that up so we could have it together. But it was a thrill. I got to umpire the baseball state finals with Dave Cavanaugh, who was my partner in baseball. My career has been a very, very good and fulfilling career. Now, now was the baseball was baseball beautiful Bush Pardon? Stadium was the baseball yeah was, yeah yeah I was in the old Bush Stadium and uh, I remember the first night I worked in 80 89 or I worked 87 and I didn't work the plate but in 89 I had to plate for the final game and Kenny Schreiber from Laporte of course he'd, he'd won the thing about 20 times it seemed like we go out to have the ground rules, and I told Kenny, I said, Kenny, why don't you just go over the ground rules? You know them better than anybody else. I said, you, <laughs> you've been here and won this thing. Of course, he won it in 87 and 89 when I was there. And 1993, Dave and I were going to a game at Jasper. It was Scott Rowan's senior year. And I told Dave, I would just come off work in the finals in 92. And, uh, I told Dave on the way down the game, I said, Dave, this is my last high school baseball game. And he said, uh, no, no, don't do that. And I said, yep, I'm done. I'm, I'm tired, and I don't look forward to it anymore, and it's not fair to the kids. So I went in, and I told the guys on the Jasper radio station, 
was my last game, and they announced it before the game, announced it on the air, so I couldn't back out. And uh, I had a great career. I had the privilege of, of uh, umpiring for Scott Rowland. There was a big kid, Brad Fella from Heritage Hills, who's about 6'8". Somebody asked me one night when I was working to play for him where that pitch was at, and I said, I don't know. I said, it sounded like a strike, so I called it a strike. I have no idea. I can't see it. <laughs> I worked a little college baseball. had the privilege of working in Evansville and the University of Kentucky game behind the plate one night. But it's just it wasn't my favorite sport. I was lucky I had Dave Cavanaugh because he knew the rule book inside and out, so if I got stuck, he'd come in and bail me out. Um, I think the respect that player, uh, coaches and fans had for me in basketball uh, carried over into baseball. I wasn't that good of a baseball official. I thought Dave Cavanaugh was much better than I was. But I think a lot of my base basketball success carried over into baseball. Uh, I had a guy tell me the other day in the Hall of Fame thing, it was a fan from Bar Reeve, I won't mention his name, but I don't know if this was a compliment or not, but he said, Steve, you were so good in basketball that you could throw a game nobody ever knew it. And, and I, I, I thought, well, I'm going to take that as a compliment. I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> <laughs> and talking about basketball officiating, you know, the first few games that you did as an official, were you, like, in shape at the time or at the end of the game? Were you like, wow, I've got to get in shape? And how did you continue to stay in shape? And what kind of regiment was that like, uh, staying in shape and, and exercising during the games? Well, I was in shape. Of course, I was younger then and didn't weigh. You know, my weight was still pretty good as it is today, but it was still... It was hard, but there was a group of teachers at Lagodi who ran every day. And as soon as school started in August, I would run, start running with them four or five days a week, getting ready to go into the season. Once the season started, I worked enough games uh, that I didn't need to be running on my days off. I needed to be resting. And I was very fortunate, never had an injury. I had one, I missed one game in my career because of a back injury and uh, that was all I ever missed never had any knock on wood never had any knee issues or feet feet issues I just tweaked, tweaked my back one night at Greencastle and and uh, couldn't go on that was on Friday night and I couldn't go on Saturday night but I went to the doctor and got I was back to go on the floor on Tuesday so I was very very lucky um but it was hard. You had to watch your weight. You had to watch what you eat. Uh, of course, back then we didn't have Apple watches and Apple things to tell us exactly how much, how many miles we ran. We always predicted we ran at least five or six miles a game. But it was a starting and stopping that was really hard on me. And those doggone tartan floors that they put in in the 70s, Pike Central, Castle, Franklin College, uh, DePaul had one. Those were awful on your on your knees as far as starting and stopping was concerned. And I was glad to see those things get taken. Even USI had a tartan floor, I believe, at one time. Those things have all all gone by the wayside now. But yeah, it was tough. You had to be 
mentally mentally ready. And Gary was Gary Lashner, He weighed a little bit more, and I, packing him around for 25 years that was hard on my back. Maybe that's why I, why I hurt my back that night. I don't know. You know, uh, as in a you know as a coach in Indiana high school basketball or as a player, you're you you know who you're playing next, and you get prepared for them. How does an official go into the officials' locker room? And 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 prepare to come out and officiate. Is it is it is there any kind of meditation? Is it do you even know? Do you even have in your head what two teams are playing? You know. And then how do you st- how do you stay or try to stay fair in how you officiate your game? Well, you I, I knew every game. I knew who was playing. I knew who was good on the teams. I just followed sports that much that I knew. Um. I'll just give you one example. First game I ever worked at Bedford North Lawrence, where I'm working now, by the way, as a vocational director at the Career Center. Um, Damon was not playing yet. Coach Bush was coaching. I'm going to have lunch with him here in a couple hours. We have lunch on Wednesdays together. And um, they played Indianapolis Cathedral. And Cathedral had a couple pretty good players by the name of Hicks and Scott Hicks and Barlow. Kenny Barlow went to Notre Dame. And they beat Bedford by about 40 that night. And the fans were awful. I told Gary on the way home, I said, I'm never going back to Bedford. Well, the next day, Mr. Manis called and wanted to know if we'd come up and work the next year against Washington. Of course, my my ego wouldn't let me say no. So I we got in the car and went back up there, and Gary complained the whole way up there, you said we weren't coming back. We get here and there's places packed, and they were playing Mitchell instead of Bedford or instead of uh, Washington. And Mitchell and Bedford hadn't played for a number of years because the last time they played in the sectional, they had a brawl. And we started the game. The Bedford, I believe it was the Bedford people, flooded the floor with jock straps. <laughs> and I told, looked over at Gary, and I'd only been working about four or five years. And I told Gary, I said, I'm not sure I'm ready for this one. <laughs> Howard Renner was coaching at Mitchell, and he could be pretty tough. Danny was coaching here, and Danny never said a word. We had a perfect, absolutely perfect basketball game, and Mitchell had the ball on the rim at the buzzer, and they got beat by one. And the next year, we went to we did the same game at Mitchell, and Mitchell was the only time in the history Mitchell beat Bedford the next year. And we had another great game there, but you do. We we always try to get to the game at the start of the JV game because we needed to get in the gym. I needed my popcorn and coke. We needed to get. How could you referee a game and get there five minutes beforehand? Run in the dressing room and get ready. I could not do that. So we we knew who we we had a schedule set up. We knew where we were going and. Gary and I had always had a pregame. No matter how many games we worked together, we always had a pregame, and we always talked about things that maybe came up in the last game that we had an issue with that we didn't want an instant replay on that for this game. And I think we had, I hope that we had a lot of respect from the coaches um, and the fans. You had certain fans at certain places. The Old Forest Park gym, you didn't want to work in the Old Forest Park gym on a Saturday night because the old boys there had 
been down visiting the local establishment on Saturday afternoon. And, and what I would do, would, we'd have a time out. I'd just sit down in the stands with them down there on the front row. And they kind of got liking me a little bit. And uh, But you just knew where you were going. You knew the fans. You knew people, we, the principals, the athletic directors. And there were a few that you didn't care for. But as time went on, you could weed those schools out or those coaches out. Now, I heard you say that you were going to lunch with uh, Coach Bush today. Now, now he always treats you, right? Oh, uh, I'm not sure about it. He did buy last week. <laughs> Uh, but the, when I, his son Alan and Coach Mark Matthews, who followed Danny here, they he met, they met us for lunch. And Alan did say something about the dust flying out of Danny's billfold or something. I'm not sure what that was all about, but I know it's my turn to buy today, so I had to <laughs> had to get my piggy bank out this morning before we I got here. But Danny Bush and I have become really good friends during the Damon era. Uh, we probably worked five games a year. I think I'm the only person to foul Damon out of a game at home in his four-year career. I'll tell you a story that Damon may not remember this, but in 1987, his freshman year, uh, Bedford got beat in the afternoon game by Marion at the state finals, and I was fortunate enough, and I said, I've only refereed six, seven years, my sixth year in the tournament. I was selected to work the final game of the state in 87. And at that point in time, the afternoon teams came down at halftime, I believe, of the night championship game to get their medallions. And Damon, after he got his walk, was walking off the floor, walked right by me and came over and congratulated me. Now, here's a freshman kid in high school, 14-year-old kid, that was mature enough and, I, I hope, respected me enough to he took time out of his day to say that and uh, that meant a lot to me and just working in the crowds that we worked for uh, it was like working the old L&M games in 85 when Tom was coaching at L&M and places were packed and people were crazy and it was just a, it was a great great atmosphere what what role did you feel like you played in keeping um, head coaches calm during a basketball game and then what pushed you to either be stern or toss a technical toward a coach during a game well I like to talk to the players and I think the coaches respected that and I picked that up from the whale Steve Wilmer you know Steve kind of mentored me and not as much as Jerry Petro and Kenny Goral did. Those were my two guys that really took me under their wings, both of them being in Franklin, and I knew both of them very well. They they really took me under their wings. Um, I think the coaches appreciated, you know, I didn't make, we, I, three seconds to me was a game interrupter. Well, I call three seconds when you step in there and tell a kid, get out of the lane. And what, another thing I like to do, if I had two big, guys in the lane and they were pushing and shoving neither one of them was very good and they just wanted to bully themselves around in there i just called a double foul early and i sent the message to both kids and sent the message to both coaches that you know i'm not playing favorites here we're just going to treat everybody the same tried to do it so the team with the ball got the ball on the on the uh, inbounds on the double foul so it didn't penalize anybody but if you talk to the kids they would respond to you. 
and I think they appreciate that. And some coaches appreciate it, and some coaches didn't. And uh, coaches, a lot of coaches get a tee because they want one. Quick story, because it came up Monday morning in a meeting I was in. I'm the only referee called a technical, I believe, on the great Charles Dimbo of Orleans. Now you talk about the per- he was a gentleman, a a gentleman. Coached there many years, and his assistant was on my back the whole first half of this ball game. And I told Mike, I said, Mike, you're going to have to be quiet. I finally told Charles, I said, Mr. Dimbo, you're going to have to keep your assistant quiet. He didn't even pay to get in. He can't be talking. And about two trips down the floor, Charles said something to me, and I don't know what I did, but I checked him. So Mike McClinic's brother, Gary, who's the superintendent of Orleans, reminded me of that Monday morning. We were in a superintendent meeting here at the vocational center. He said, you know, you're the only one. I said, well, you know, it's funny because Mr. Dimbo put an ad in the Hall of Fame program uh, congratulating me on this on the award. And um, so I thought, well, he's still not mad. We had a long talk a few years later, Mr. Dimbo and I did, in the hotel lobby at the in Indianapolis the Sunday morning after the state final game. Matter of fact, it was the state final game at Damon when Bedford won. And, and there were no hard feelings. But I still have one coach that won't speak to me. And it's been many, 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 many years, 30-some years. I checked him twice one night, and he still won't speak how do you deal with uh, how do you focus on the game and not listen to the fans or to the parents uh, during a high school basketball game well it's really not that difficult you think it is but the difference between baseball and basketball is in baseball if you got a close pitch and you didn't call it a strike you throw it back to the pitcher and then all of a sudden that pitcher's got a few seconds he can kind of kick the dirt and walk around the mound and kind of get his composure and the fans can really chirp and you got that mommy setting up the stands that's yapping or that dad walking around that's yapping at you because you missed that pitch um in basketball you get the ball and you go immediately and by the time the fans start yelling there's something else has happened and and, uh, they've changed their tune a little bit but you just kind of have to block it out. Uh, and it's sometimes just hard to do, especially if the gym's not very crowded. You get that one or one or two people that's got that certain voice that you they're on you the whole game. There used to be a guy in White River Valley that I don't care how if they won by 30 or got beat by 30, he didn't like anything I did. And uh, But you learn to live with that, and you just – you know, if you have integrity, nothing else matters. And if you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. And that's kind of the motto that I've lived by. And I really think, I was thinking about this the other day, I truly believe that officiating molded me and helped shape me into being able to handle the superintendency at two different school corporations and make tough decisions that we've had to make in public education, close schools, and and do things like that. And I think my background in officiating made me the person that I am today. Um, and it's just, it, the parents, you know, they, the way I look at it, excuse me, they paid their five bucks to get in and they can yell and rant and rave all they want to. I did have a fan one night, and I won't mention the school, but 
as I'm walking out of the gym, he, teenager who just graduated a couple of years, and his brother played for, was playing in that game, did happen to show me they had a pistol stuck down his pants. <laughs> um, I decided it was time to break away from that place for a while, so <laughs> we did. And uh, I had a fan one night take a swing at me coming off the floor. Albert Cavanaugh told me at Bar Eve it was a tough, tough game. And he said, Steve, you need to come out this door. Well, I didn't listen to Mr. Cavanaugh, and I went out the other door, and lo and behold, some fan decided he was going to take a swing at me. Um, and I did not turn, I did not head to the dressing room. I turned around, which I shouldn't have done. But he didn't hit me, and I didn't hit him. But I had a coach one night hide in the bushes after the game. Outside the game. Gary and I were leaving, and he jumps out because I'd made a call in double overtime that was block charge call that he didn't like. Cost him ball. He said cost him the ball game. So he was hiding, literally hiding in the bushes. And when Gary and I came out, he came running out after us. Gary said, get in the car right now before you do something stupid. So there's all kinds of things that have happened. And, but, you know, just the um, – I didn't realize how many people really – followed my officiating career until this Hall of Fame thing came about and I was really really honored from those people who may, took time to send a note or call me on the phone and it was it was uh, an experience I'll never ever forget and such an honor such an honor um, uh, uh, Steve tell us a little bit about uh, what is the state of officiating in the state of Indiana now? I know you uh, used to teach and mentor some of the young officials, and do um, um, you think it's in good hands? No. I think there's a lot of things that need to be done, and I know they're working hard in the IHSAA office, and I, I, I really, truly believe that Paul Nidig, the new assistant commissioner, he's going to be the lifesaver of officiating because he understands where we're coming from. I spend every year with Gary Hamilton on the phone complaining and griping about how the system works. And, um, just to give any, well, I, it is right. I've mentored, mentored several young officials, and they've all worked the state finals now. Um, we've got our last one in this year, Coach Slatton's nephew, young man by the name of Craig Bechtel, who's a good one. Um, Scott Arthur, Nick Weiniger, Isaac Eisterhold, a bunch of kids down in southern Indiana that I call them kids. They're a lot younger than I am, but they've all worked the finals, either boys and or girls. And that was kind of our goal when we set out to do this. I have a real passion for officiating. I knew it was time to get out when I went to a game. I was still working a few games in 2008, and I didn't want to go. And I my performance showed that I didn't want to go. And I told Craig, if we walked off the floor after the game, that was my last game. I'll never work another one. And I didn't want – it was time for me to go turn it over to the younger guys. Um, we need we need officials bad. And the problem we've got is nobody really wants to leave home for the amount of money they make. You've got to have a passion. It's like teaching nowadays. You've got to have a passion for teaching because you're not going to make a lot of money at it. And the other thing is our young officials have got to realize you can't work one year and then work a full varsity schedule. 
and you've got to pay your dues a little bit and, and work. You know, I worked 143 games my first year. And, yeah, I was lucky enough to get a sectional my second year, but I wouldn't have gotten that sectional had it not been for the flu epidemic. And there was a man by the name of Charlie Moss who was assistant super, assistant uh, commissioner who followed my career as it was starting out. And I remember 1983, I'd worked my third sectional, and I went to a baseball meeting on Sunday morning after the final game of sectional. And he called me off to the side, and he said, Steve, can you handle the final game at Lafayette Regional? I said, yes, sir. He said, you're going to throw it up Saturday night at the Lafayette Regional. And I thought, man, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not even, I'm not very old. And Charlie Moss took a liking to me. And I, I think that he was one of the main reasons that I was able to, to move up the, the ladder. But I always told the guys, it doesn't matter how many people you know or what all you do. When you cross that black line, you better be able to handle the, the basketball game. If you can't, it's going to show. And that's the, the message I've tried to have uh, delivered to these, all my, my buddies out here is you've got to work hard. I always tell them, you know, Howard Cat from Indianapolis Tech would always, work, would always be the host at Sima State. He'd always walk by me and shake my hand before the game and he'd say you're ready I said how, how do you know he goes well, you're sweating he said your hands are sweaty and I always tell my officials make your first call as firm and strong as you can have a great first whistle and you'll be okay no doubts and that's the message I send with them whenever they go to work the state final you know, in making a career in education and also your uh, long career in officiating, uh, uh, family, kids, grandchildren? Oh, that! Oh, yeah, I've got a whole ton of them. <laughs> I've got three beautiful daughters who have blessed me with ten beautiful grandchildren. I have, they range from 22 to 3. I even have a great-grandson. I have a granddaughter that's 15, 16, and I think she is a pretty good athlete, softball and volleyball. We've got that cheerleading thing stuck there in the middle. I'm not sure what that's about. I asked her the other day, I said, is there anything you're not good at? She said, basketball. I'm terrible. <laughs> I said, well, why don't you play next year and just be a defensive specialist? But, um, yeah, I've got three beautiful daughters, Carly, Ashley, and Lacey, and they're all married and have wonderful husbands. And they've given me ten um, beautiful grandchildren. I have a son, grandson that's six, will be in eighth grade. He's not. He's going to be a pretty good player. Um, so very, very proud of them, and um, probably cheated them a little bit. It's funny because you remember certain things, and I did not go when Carly was a small. Uh, young lady, she was the, in the homecoming court as the, the crown bearer, ring, whatever, carrying the flowers out for the event. And I didn't go because I had a basketball game to referee, and I often have regretted that more than you'll ever know. And uh, But the girls have grown up, and they've all got great jobs. Husbands have great jobs. And, um, I'm very, very proud of them. They were all three pretty good athletes. 
volleyball. And Carly was a pretty good basketball player, but she's been struck with some, some illnesses during her career, her life. But she's kicking them in the butt right now. So um, things are good. I've retired. And they always they always told me, well, you know, when it was time to retire. And when you have a school board member that gets elected that you fired, you know you're a short-timer. <laughs> so I... Uh, I left Newcastle and uh, on my way home stopped by Franklin College and they hired me. To, I didn't stop for a job, but before I got out of there, I was going to teach three or four classes. And this thing at Bedford opened up after during the second semester, and I've been here since April. Going back to Franklin, I hope. And uh, so it's been a it's been a great career. And the, I think the things I cherish most are the friendships that I've made. And, um. Gary Hamilton and lives in Franklin, and he and I have become very, very good friends. And all the guys, and just it's just amazing that the friendships that you make. And, um, Gary Duncan, that, that was at Southridge and had those good teams. And I think '85 and '86. Um, he and Charles Dimbo were two guys that I both assessed technicals on, and they both put an ad in. The, program with the Hall of Fame, which I was very, very honored. It made me feel really good. It brought tears to my eyes, really, that they thought enough of me that they could put past be the past. And had great years with Tom Olson at L&M and uh, Stan Neal at Washington. And just a lot of good, a lot of great coaches. Great coaches. You're at the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame banquet, and you know you're getting ready to get the uh, Center Circle Officials Award. Um, is it a is was it just were, were you satisfied? Were you happy? Did you have memories? What was it like before you know you got that award? What were you thinking? Well, I was happy because my three daughters were and their husbands, except for Carly's husband, works overseas, so he wasn't there. But my daughters were there and my um, son-in-laws um, and I had eight fraternity brothers from the college SAEs from Franklin College surprised me they bought a table and surprised me and um, I really didn't let all it didn't really sink in too much it was kind of a lot of hoopla and people talking to you and congratulating you and uh, Kenny Goro and Petro had sent messages. They were in Florida, but they had sent messages. And Rex Nichols and, and Larry Maxwell and just guys that I'd refereed with in the tournaments. And Coach Thompson from, that was from Franklin College, he was there. And, and that meant a lot to me. And I know Coach Slatton and my dad was there. My mom was there looking down. And um, I got back to the hotel, and the next morning, I started looking at social media and seeing all the congratulations and things, and then it really started hitting me that there were only three people each year that try to award this award, give this award to active officials or still living officials, not active, and one that's passed away. And to be in this fraternity with guys like Rex Nichols and and different guys and Gary Hamilton will be in there someday and good friends of mine and Larry Maxwell just different people really made me feel good and really made me understand how what my career had been 
because when you're doing the officiating, you don't understand. You just think it's something to pick up forty or fifty or sixty bucks, and and it really did turn into a profession. It turned into a hobby for me, and uh, I just it was it was, it was quite an honor. I, Don Nestor called me. He was in, he was on the committee, and he called me. And he and I used to have a basketball officiating camp at St. Joe every year. And he called me and said, he didn't tell me who it was. He just said, I'm going, I'm going to have an officials camp at Rensselaer. Would you like to help out? And I said, I don't know who this is, but you've talked to the wrong person. I give that up a long time ago. Kidding. He said, Steve, this is Don, and um, I've got some good news for you. You can't tell anybody yet except your daughter <laughs> and your family. And it was hard not to, but um, I did tell my three daughters. And uh, I know they they were very proud of their old pop. So um, I'm just blessed to be in that fraternity with guys like Petro and Goro. Jerry Petro and Kenny Goro were my idols. And I would, if I saw him work, I worked a JV game, I'd go in the dressing room at halftime. I'd stay after the game just to be able to talk to those guys and learn from them. And Wilmer and Newsom and those guys, anytime I saw them work, I stayed. And I'll tell you this quick story. Uh, 1985, I was just getting, I was really right at the peak of making the big move to the Sima State and then hopefully on to the state finals. And I worked the final game in the regional with Newsom or with uh, Wilmer. And it was, it was Steve's last year. He was getting ready. He, he, he had hit the big time and he was getting ready to make the move up. And I told him, I said, Steve, anything you can do to help me, I really appreciate because I'm right on the cusp of making this move. And, he goes out. Uh, Bossy is playing Princeton. Princeton's undefeated. Jim Jones and Joe Mullen. Jim Jones is at Princeton. And I look down in the corner of the Roberts Stadium while the teams are warming up, and Big Wilmer's got him down in the corner with his arm around both of them, bent over, talking to him. So he comes back down. You know, he stops and shakes about 60 hands before he gets back down to me. And he said, don't worry about thing. I took care of your coach's vote for you. And Bossy won, upset. It was a great game. It wasn't really an upset. They were Bossy was really good. And the next year, I worked my first semi-state. And the next year, in '87, I worked my first state final. So it's funny how things work out. Um, Charlie Moss believed in keeping you during the tournament. He wanted you far away from home. And I think that hurt us some because those coaches didn't know us. And if you happen to have a bad game, I think it was it really hurt your rating. When Mr. Kraft got in, Ray's philosophy was to keep you close to home, and I think that really, really helped me. It was just Charlie's death. Ray took over. I think it really helped me because of the difference in the philosophies. Charlie was really, really good to me. I couldn't have asked for a better person to help get me started from the IHSAA office. Um, but Ray's philosophy was just a little bit different. It really helped. And Mr. Cato's philosophy was more like Ray's. And uh, I think it helped Gary and I both. Rather than being sent to North Montgomery where nobody knew you, or Shelbyville where nobody knew you, you got sent to Vincennes where all the coaches knew you and respected you. 
Steve Fisher, what an outstanding career. I know we ran a little bit long. I know everybody is going to enjoy this, but thank you so much for your time and helping keep the nostalgia alive, and I, I look forward to the response from our program. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate the, you know, the opportunity to talk to you. And um, It's been a good career. I've had fun, and I just didn't want to – I didn't want to go to a game where I was still working and some fan – yell out to you old gray-headed parts you should have got out of this game 20 years ago <laughs> so i think i got out at the right time and and i've turned it over to a, a good group of people but I, I will put this plug in we need officials and if you're thinking about it, if you're a high school athlete or you're thinking about it as a guy that's out of college or out of high school get in touch with ihsaa and and get your application in and belong to an official association and get involved and make those relationships work and, and I, I guarantee you'll have fun.